Welcome to How to Split a Toaster, a divorce podcast about saving your relationships from True Story FM. Today, what happens when your toaster is tipsy? Welcome to the show, everyone. I'm Seth Nelson, and I'm here, as always, with my good friend, Pete Wright. Today on the show, we're going to talk about alcohol and alcoholism. Soberlink is a tool used to identify, test, and communicate alcohol use. If you're in addiction recovery, you might think of this as your accountability partner. For our purposes, it's all about keeping you accountable to yourself, your kids, your former spouse in the court in an effort to keep you clean and preserve relationships with your children. Chris Beck is VP of Business Development at Soberlink, and he's here today to talk about the tool, technology, the law, and advocacy. Chris, welcome to The Toaster. Well, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. I think this technology is fascinating, uh, and I think it is even more fascinating using it in the context in which we are talking about it today, using it in relationship with the courts uh, and how it works. I think in in order to sort of just set up the conversation, we thought we would talk a little bit first, Chris, about the technology. What is it exactly that Soberlink does? And if alcohol plays a role in your relationship with your former spouse, what might you expect? And then we'll pivot and talk a little bit about how it's used in the courts and the advocacy work that you do. How's that sound? Sounds great. Sounds great. So introduce us to it. Our device is called Soberlink, of course. Um, We do alcohol monitoring for child custody cases where one or both of the parents have been accused of abusing alcohol during their parenting time. So when two people get divorced and someone's being accused or someone has alcohol use disorder, that's where Soberlink comes into play. Um, What's great about Soberlink is that We are, as you said, used as an accountability tool. They can blow into our device at any time, anywhere, and get immediate results of their BAC. So our device actually is a high-tech breathalyzer where we've combined it with a camera and a wireless way to communicate it to anyone that's associated with the monitoring agreement. So imagine you blow into this device It's taking a picture of you as you're blowing into it. It uses facial recognition software to confirm your identity. And then it sends it to everyone that's on the agreement or associated with it. So immediately, you know, if that person that's with your kids is sober or not drinking at the time they're doing their parenting. So very interesting how it all kind of takes place, but it's an empowerment tool at the end. And that's really what we'd like to talk about. What I, I told my my wife uh, just before we walked in, I said, what, what, do you, what do you think about this? What would you want to know? And of course, you know, we're married and not going through a contested divorce and alcohol is not really an issue. But her first question is, which may have been a leading question, how much can you drink and not get pinged by Soberlink before you're, is, it's just going off our standard like blood alcohol rates? It is. So it's a zero tolerance system. So like if you were in the criminal courts, a lot of times nothing gets registered as a positive until you're over that 0.02. But Mm -hmm. with family law, we want to be zero tolerance. We want to know if there's any alcohol in that person's system, you know, at the time they're with the kids. So um, it registers anything over a 0.005. So I have one beer. I'm going to test positive for sure. Even two hours afterwards. Um, based on my elimination rate. Now, 
everyone's elimination rate is different. Depends on your size, um, how long you've been drinking, male, female, um, all these different things. So there are a lot of different things that come into play. But for me, I can have one beer two hours later, still test positive. Okay. Not that I'm here to try and, and teach people how to, to trick Soberlink. <laughs> but immediately, my head goes into Hashtag scheduling. asking for a friend, <laughs> yeah, right? Right, right, <laughs> right? Right. I know where you're going, Pete. I, I, we, we talked about this before we came on, Seth, and you Im- immediately ran into, uh, uh, started running off stories of how the technology helps you in court in terms of the people that you're representing. Oh, I, I think even before we get to court, I think Chris kind of hit it on the head at the very start when he said if you are suffering from alcoholism chris used slightly different terminology um or whether you're being accused of it so i think that it can be used two ways and it's the different ways are one of perception if you're being accused of it and you are convinced you are not suffering from alcoholism this is a very simple way to quote unquote prove that you don't have an issue. So the way that I have advised numbers, I mean, I can't even tell you, Pete, how many clients I've, I've, and how many times these issues come up, okay? Is look, if you get Soberlink, you buy the device, you subscribe to the subscription, and Chris can, will ask him more about how all that works later, but before you pick up the children, an hour before, I want you to blow into that. And once you pick up the children, you don't want to do it necessarily in front of them, depending on how old they are and all what's going on and whether they have knowledge base on this, right? But within the first 20 minutes of having the kids, you pick them up, you bring them home, you get them a snack, you excuse yourself to the bathroom, you do a quick blow because it takes how long, Chris? Yeah, I mean, in 60 seconds, you're able to get the device and it's four seconds of breath. So, you know, it's not very long to actually complete that test. Right. So you do that, you have a clean read, right? You drop the kids off four hours later because you just had them that afternoon, whatever the case may be. And within 10 minutes of dropping them off, you blow again. So now... You've gotten a blow an hour before you picked them up, so there's no issues. 10 minutes, 20 minutes after you have them, and then 10 minutes after you you weren't drinking that time. And the reason that I have them do it before, during, and after, Pete, is that shows that it's during the care, custody, and control that you have of your children. It's not like, oh, well, he blew an hour before, but, you know, he snuck to the bathroom and had a couple shots when he was... Mm-hmm had the kids how do i know and this is so easy to do you then get to go in and say look i'm trying to show you and i'm these are hoops i don't think i should jump through i advise my clients to put your ego to the side your spouse has a concern you believe it's unjustified what better way to deal with it than to prove that it's not justified anymore yeah And, and that is powerful and it's powerful When you're trying to settle a case, it's powerful for the parent to be able to know that when I'm with my children, I'm going to be clean. I'm going to hold myself accountable. Um, Or the parent that says, I shouldn't be doing this anyway. And I'm like, well, that's fine. Jump through this little hoop. If it's not a problem, it's not a problem. And then we're going to alleviate the concerns with independent, verifiable, third-party 
analysis that no one's going to be able to to refute. And either even if your spouse never believes it, their lawyer is going to believe it and the court's going to believe it. Well, it it seems like all of this that you're talking about, uh, Seth, is the result of something that uh, Chris started with before we started our conversation, which is around weaponizing alcohol abuse disorder and specifically weaponizing alcohol abuse disorder in a contested divorce. Um, Can you talk a little bit about that, Chris? Alcohol use disorder is not a moral failing. It's a disease. And that's where we really have to get our arms around. A lot of people in the past have talked about, well, you know, you can't drink 24 hours prior to seeing your kids. That was like a common order back in the day. And everyone was losing their kids because the fact was, is that they couldn't control the disease, you know, unless they had proper treatment, unless they were going through the proper steps that were involved. And that was really difficult. So I think if everyone understood the disease model, we would be much more understandable to what should be perceived. I mean, 80% of our testing, I mean, this is pretty, pretty large, 80% of people who go onto our system have a positive test. And that just tells you how difficult, you know, it is to stop drinking, how difficult it is to help the people that we serve. 80%. Do you have any sense of people who, who report they have an alcohol pro- problem or, or an alcohol abuse disorder before they join the system? That's probably a, a good point there, Pete. And I do not have that data. I would say that a majority, though, are people that are possibly in denial. Um, you know, they don't, they haven't really gotten to the point where they're accepting they're still in that denial phase. And here's the thing about the denial phase from a litigation perspective and a trying to protect yourself and protect kids and get you quality time with your kid. Okay. Even if you're in denial and you're like, I don't have a problem and, but you agree to go use sober link. If, if that's what keeps yourself accountable for that weekend that you have your kids, then it's doing its job. You're doing your job when you have your kid. Okay. so. And this is very powerful because in the modern days where Chris was saying it, it, you know, back in the day where you can't drink 24 hours before, you know, what we, what I try to do when I'm dealing with these issues is I want a clean breathalyzer within so many hours before you pick up the children. And it's got to be enough time where if it comes back where you've been drinking, you forfeited that time. But the other spouse has to make arrangements to pick up the kids. You can't do that five minutes beforehand, right? If if aftercare closes at six and you don't have to use Soberlink until five fifty five, and it and you have some alcohol in your system, that's five minutes is not enough time for your spouse then to come get the children. So it's got to be you got to work on some logistics with this to make it seamless for the kids. So you figure out okay if it comes back where there's alcohol in the system, mom will be notified immediately or dad will be notified immediately. So the other parent then has the hour to go pick up the children. Okay. And then they pick up the kids and then it's more seamless. And it's not this craziness at pickup drop off. Right. And then you also have mechanisms or what happens is when you have the children, if, if you, if you slip up. So 
it can be very powerful, but you got to think about logistics so we know when, where, and how is it going to be implemented if and when it comes back a positive test. Well, and and I think that the second piece that comes into that is, you know, how long does it take for all the other parties involved, let's say opposing counsel and your spouse who believes you have an alcohol abuse uh, issue to actually start developing trust that the system is doing what it's doing. I have to imagine that there is, if if you're saying, okay, my former spouse has an alcohol problem, I believe it, I, I see them drink, and I know they have an alcohol problem, and you say, I don't have an alcohol problem, we kind of, we drink occasionally, but I'm a casual drinker. I imagine it's going to be hard for the former spouse to say, okay, I, I see the data now. I, I trust it. How long does that take before you're, you stop contesting every single drop-off and, and handoff? Yeah, I've seen a lot of, a lot of different timelines um, that you're describing there, Pete. I've seen where people just want to see it for 30 days, but then I've seen it drag on for, for two years, and they're never going to trust their ex, no matter what is put in front of them. So I've seen all parts of that spectrum, and I'm sure you have too, Seth. And and I, I think what Chris said at the end is there's some that will never trust the data. Yeah. And ultimately, as the person who is the one using the technology to prove to themselves, the court, opposing counsel, whoever it may be, independent third-party data, your goal is no longer to persuade your former spouse that you're healthy. Your goal then shifts to say to the court, I am healthy. I've been doing this while we've been litigating for the last 12 months, Judge. I haven't had one positive test. And therefore, I don't believe I need to be monitored. And I've been doing it voluntarily. I wasn't even court ordered to do it. Or I've done it for three months or six months. We're all good. So at that point, a judge, I, in my experience, has been like, okay, we're good. I've rarely seen where a judge says, you will continue to do this by court order until the children are 18, okay? The other thing is on parenting classes or parenting issues like this, the older the children get, the safer they become because they can look at the parent and say, I'm not getting in the car or call the other parent, I need you to pick me up. Yeah, they have they have will of their own. Right. Yeah. When you're three years old and you're strapped in a car seat in the back seat, you have no control. That's a great point. So oh, Chris said a great point. We gotta make sure we emphasize that when we when we play this podcast, Pete. I like that. Yeah. Giving me some props there, you know? So <laughs> <laughs> Well, and, and it's not as as though Soberlink has done has not done the homework. Uh, it, you know, when you look at the device, I I, <laughs> I love it because I'm a nerd. Um, but I look at this thing; it's got the facial recognition. I assume that's set up at the time of uh, if in this kind of a scenario, you'd set it up in front of witnesses that says, "Okay, I'm I am who I say I am. This is my picture, and I'm facially." you know, tied to the device. Is that, can, can you walk us through how the setup works for people who, who are concerned? The setup process is once they have signed the monitoring agreement, we know all the parties that are involved. They know the expectations and how to uh, do the testing protocol. They would call our customer service team and they would run them through the very first test. 
And we make sure that we have a photo on that very first test that becomes the master photo, which then is used upon every other test. Now, the concerned party or the attorneys can get that photo of the very first test to confirm that it is who they say it is. But we've never once seen that uh, someone's able to beat the system through at the very beginning, having someone else, um, you know, activate the device. And, and the technology takes into account beards and facial changes and glasses and things, I assume. It does. It actually um, gets smarter as it goes on. You know, so as facial hair grows in, it will start accounting for that. And then as it gets shaved off, it will account for that. So yes, we do ask that you remove hats and glasses during the, the test. But, um, you know, as, as we've seen, um, our facial recognition software has really been uh, extremely successful in, in driving identity. Seth was wondering about face tattoos because he's considering something, uh, you know, he, his boxer is, he's got a favorite boxer. Who, he's got, yeah, yeah, I don't want to name drop, but he's got, uh, he's got some uh, Tyson uh, fantasies. Yeah, but Pete, it, it was really going to be America's favorite divorce Family lawyer, lawyer right. And, uh, yeah, right. You know, so, um, Chris, that's what Pete always calls, not always, but frequently calls me at the end of the show. But I'm a little concerned about it because, one, I think I have to write it backwards for it to show up properly. And there's no spell check on tattoos, right? Accurate. So, that's true. Yeah. You know, or typos or whatever. So, yeah. you know, I'm giving it some thought. Um <laughs> But B, you raise an interesting point about being a nerd because you get all excited about the technology. Yeah. And I was all excited because uh, Chris mentioned more than once the monitoring agreement. I'm like, that sounds like a contract. Oh, I can't wait to talk nerdery. about this. Absolutely. Yes. We're here all day, every day. So, Chris, here's my uh, assumption. Correct me if I'm wrong, please. That is basically an agreement on who's going to get the results of this test. And you're not, uh, Soberlink's not allowed to send it on to anybody else, only who's listed. And does that get plugged in and, and show up via a text messages or email or a smoke screen? H how do those people get that? Can I share it with Instagram or TikTok? We, uh, all the results are shared only with those individuals who have been listed on the monitoring agreement. So Seth, you're exactly right. And, you know, one reason why we use facial recognition instead of um, submitting a photo to individuals is we don't want it on TikTok. We don't want those photos on Instagram. You know, they're not flattering. And uh, that's another way that we see other systems being weaponized. So we want to make sure that everything is very compliant with HIPAA. And we make sure that when people call in, we check their email. And also the second identity is um, making sure that we have first and last name. And so that when we check um, before we give any results, they're part of that monitoring agreement. That's that's why I always say, make sure attorneys are listed on the monitoring agreement because then it makes it a little easier to get all the results. And on, on that same point, when we go to CLEs, Pete, continuing legal educations, I always like to talk about practice tips. And for the attorneys out there, a practice tip is make sure whatever agreement or court order that this might be putting in to the to the system so to speak you're saying that it can only be used to monitor the the, the receiving party cannot make a copy cannot um can only use it for court purposes cannot republish it can't do a screenshot or a screen save any of that stuff you really want to protect it 
um, because the goal, the goal is to keep kids safe. And you want to encourage the person who you're saying has an issue to enter into this agreement voluntarily, or you're trying to persuade a judge to order it. And the more protections you give on what I'll call collateral damage, as opposed to saying, focus on the issue at hand, keeping kids safe, the higher likelihood a court is either going to order it or you're going to get an agreement. And if you're truly worried about keeping your kids safe, you don't care about whether you get to post it on TikTok or social media. You care that that comes back clean when your spouse or former spouse, parent of your child, has care, custody, and control of the children. What is the practical difference between choosing to test during parenting time versus just daily consistent testing day after day after day? Why would someone need to test daily if they're, if they're not seeing the kids daily? Our program level two is the daily testing um, program that we have where um, we're actually testing on a schedule two to three times a day. And that is more of our treatment model. So um, this is something where we're trying to get that individual to see some change in their behavior, their cognitive behavior. So the repetition of those tests and seeing that they're compliant day after day gets them to that next level and gets them through their treatment. It's validating all the things that they have, have set up, you know, to get to where they're at. And, um, you know, again, it's just something that is repetitive on a test. It's not something that they're anxious about where it becomes random testing. We want it to be scheduled. We want it to be a new behavior that is created. From a litigation perspective, Pete, and I've made this argument both ways in court, in Florida, check your local jurisdiction, there has to be a nexus, a connection between whatever behavior you're concerned about of the other parent and the children. So one argument is you have a week-on, week-off schedule. Why does it matter to your question, Pete, if on the week off, if he doesn't have the children or she doesn't have the children, if they drink all week, if they drink Monday through Friday, they drop the kids off Monday at school, they started drinking Monday afternoon, they don't pick them up till Monday afternoon the following week, and they drink straight through till Sunday. One argument is no impact. They weren't on the phone with the kids. They weren't FaceTiming with the kids. You just have week on, week off. You see your kids for a week. You don't talk to them for a week. That's one aspect. The other aspect I is, think you just described a reason for us to do a whole different podcast episode. Right, right. We're going to need to talk about that another time. But the other flip side of that coin is, to Chris's point earlier, is um, alcohol abuse disorder is a daily struggle. So the flip side of that argument is, Judge, if they have to drink for the week they're not with the children, that's going to bleed over into when they are. And that's why you have to monitor it. You don't just monitor cancer on the week you have the children. How is that week before going to impact the following week? And there's the nexus, okay? And some judges, because they have a lot of discretion, will say, doesn't matter. I don't care about the week off. I only care about the week on. Other judges are like, I'm monitoring every day. Well, to that point, we're talking in the context of, you know, family law and the divorce process. But this the, the whole treatment program, when you're talking about the SoberLink level two 
treatment program, uh, it, it brings to mind the whole idea of this podcast, saving relationships, and and how does uh, how does Soberlink go into uh, or serve saving relationships before they get to the divorce process? Um, and and I know that you are involved in advocacy and and uh, your work toward you know building awareness toward so many bigger issues than just you know the the family law process i wanted to give you a chance to talk a little bit about what else you're doing soberlink also participates in being that uh, mechanism after treatment that reinforces the treatment that um, someone with alcohol use disorder has actually been through instead of self-reporting back they're reporting through our device their sobriety and their i guess i want to say staying on the right path right so that is being reinforced by them blowing into our device and showing to their mental health professional or their sober coach that they're continuing to be sober. Or maybe it's set up to be around their recovery circle. And we have a program called SHARE, which we are doing in the treatment side of things, where if a person comes out of treatment and wants to build the relationships back with all those important individuals in their lives, could be their their wife or their husband or their kids. but it could be just best friends. Let's prove to them that I'm sober now. And I will send you my sobriety results and my undocumented. And if I do have a slip, you're there to help me immediately. Get me back on the right path. That's really where we're going with our technology. And that's where it's been super successful for us. Saving relationships, Seth. One breath at a time. Exactly. That's what we're all about. And I had another question, Chris. Sure. Well, we get a lot of concern about drinking and driving, especially with little kids. What, what, if anything, can Soberlink do on that front? Our device is used remotely. So I would say that many things that you've mentioned in this podcast was about making sure that the parenting plan has a lot of details with how you do the exchange properly, how you do um, the testing during the parenting time. And there can be some sentences around what happens when we're going to drive to, let's say, soccer practice. Maybe there's testing that's done 20, 30 minutes before that actually takes place. I had a friend actually that was on Soberlink and um, the wife would actually test before school pickup just to make sure that, um, you know, we wanted, to, we wanted to ensure sobriety before picking up the kids at school. And the husband you know, would make sure that one hour before, like you said, so I had enough time that that parent had enough time to actually get to the school in case mom wasn't ready. They, they're still together today because that's how she earned her trust back was blowing compliant time after time. But, but it doesn't sound like Soberlink is not, is, it does not facilitate a connection to the car, right? You're, you're not going to lock down the car if, if the parent decides I'm going to go ahead and, and drive drunk. Yeah, there are um, other technologies out there, ignition interlock systems that that do do that. Um, but yeah, ours is more to everyday life, making that tool available everywhere, not just when you're driving. That seemed like a leading question, Seth. Did you have you want to follow on to that? No, I just were you leading the witness just now? N- no, I, I would never consider doing that, Pete. I mean, I'm a little, <laughs> uh, I'm a little kind of upset that you even would 
think that and pose that question, you know? Um, but if you feel that I do that and you want me to be monitored, I'll get a court reporter at every single hearing and I'll submit those transcripts to you until I gain your trust. Okay. That's it. That's all I want. It's all I wanted to hear. No, I, I think the point of that is, it, you know, what other technologies are out there? Cause I know you're the tech guy and to see what we can do to keep people safe and, and having those specificity or the specifics within any agreement, monitoring agreement, temporary parenting plan, contract, all any legal firm you want to throw at it is uh, kind of critical. The other thing is, which we haven't mentioned, is if you just fail to take the test, you know, practice tip, it's a deemed fail, right? If, if you don't take it, and just don't do what you're supposed to do that hour before pickup, and there's no notification that goes out, then that's deemed a failed test. And it's just as bad as uh, having it in the system. So the, you don't get the benefit of the doubt when we're coming to these serious issues. Any issues with jurisdictions? Can you use Soberlink everywhere you want to use it? We've been used all across the U.S. in every single state. By county, we have not hit every single county in the U.S. That would be impossible. But uh, we also are used in Canada and um, overseas. So yeah, we've had a lot of success. But especially when there are some issues with the family law code, we see a lot of the voluntary that Seth mentioned, where the two parties will come together and stipulate that they'll use our device because it's the least invasive device out there, and you can use it discreetly. And like you mentioned at the very beginning, the kids don't even need to know about it. It's a serious issue. And I think my just like gut feeling on all this for my years of practice is it doesn't have to be weaponized. It's about keeping your kids safe. And it's about showing yourself that, hey, I'm doing what I need to do. Or if you don't have the issue, don't be afraid to do it because then you're just eliminating a lot of headaches and litigation and costs and fees. And, and when, and I've had these cases Pete, where I've shown up at a mediation, I've shown up at court with six months of, of clean and they'll, and they say to me, well, Seth, why do I have to abstain from alcohol when I don't have a problem for six months? I say, you don't, this is a personal choice. I'm just telling you, you're going to save a whole lot of time, money, and effort. If you make that decision and I'm not litigating alcohol issues for the next year and a half, two years, I can knock this out in six months and all you're doing. And Chris, why don't you speak to this? How much is a subscription on the different levels? Um, because that's a whole lot. No matter what Chris says right now, it's going to be a whole lot less than attorney's fees. Yeah. So, so typically like parenting time only we talked about, that's going to be around you know, just over $150. And if you do a level two, you know, you're looking at more like $250-ish. Per month? That is per month. So, but we have different ways that you can actually send messages to the people that are associated with the monitoring agreement. So the prices will vary a little bit. But I always recommend real-time results. And you can get those through emails that are sent 60 seconds after the monitor client takes the test. That's the most popular program we have. The one I always recommend that is needed in these types of cases. Couple hundred bucks a month. Go call your divorce attorney, ask him how much he is an hour. Or she. Mm. Mm. Yeah. 
Incredible uh, technology. And uh, it's, you know, it's deeply personal. And, uh, you know, I think back to I've, I've got a granddad who drank himself to death that I never really got to meet because he, he died of alcohol poisoning when I was two. And I think about this technology and I think, you know what, I'll be damned if he would probably wouldn't, you know, have been here around for most of my life. Uh, had something like this existed at the time. So uh, it, it is a it's a rough journey. Uh, and I know it's, it, you know, it's it is a big deal in our culture right now. And uh, any technology that can keep us saving relationships and saving lives is is nothing to joke too much about. So uh, we sure appreciate you being here and educating us, Chris. Any final words you'd like to share? I want to say thanks for having me, both uh, Seth and Pete. Uh, it was a privilege. And uh, if you do have any questions or your audience has any uh, questions about our technology, they can go to www.soberlink.com. Um, if it's regarding family law, we have a specific family law section. But if it's just more about documenting your sobriety individually outside of family law, we do have a treatment site as well that they can click on. Good service, everybody. Check it out. Links in the show notes. This has been fantastic. Uh, on behalf of the generous uh, Chris Beck from Soberlink, and you know him, America's favorite family law attorney, Seth Nelson. I'm Pete Wright. We'll catch you next time right here on How to Split a Toaster, the divorce podcast about saving your relationships. Seth Nelson is an attorney with Nelson Coster Family Law and Mediation with offices in Tampa, Florida. While we may be discussing family law topics, How to Split a Toaster is not intended to, nor is it providing legal advice. Every situation is different. If you have specific questions regarding your situation, please seek your own legal counsel with an attorney licensed to practice law in your jurisdiction. Pete Wright is not an attorney or employee of Nelson Coster. Seth Nelson is licensed to practice law in Florida.